0: Good morning and yippee kai yay everybody. So, uh, really, really sorry. We're a little bit late on the podcast this week. Uh, should have been yesterday. Um, just had some uh, personal family issues, uh, little family emergencies come up. And wasn't able to publish, wasn't able to get everything done. So, we're coming to you today. Of course, we are going to talk about UFC 223 what's been going on there the new developments with conor mcgregor and uh dana white uh we're going to talk a little bit about um the new rumor about uh floyd mayweather and connor um possibly doing a fight in the cage but with modified rules and then of course we're going to talk about self-defense and some of the um things that are going on in the industry and some things that will be upcoming within the next 2-3 weeks so stay tuned and we'll get to all that soon. Thanks for listening guys. Albert Apache podcast coming at ya. Okay guys, let's get this show on the road. So, um first and foremost what I what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about uh or this segment is going to be the rose And you want to fight. Now, I sat back and I watched this fight. And, um, you know, it was some controversy in the fight, right? Um, People were saying that they looked at the stat line and they talked a little bit about significant strikes. And it looked like, you know, by the numbers that that Joanna had won out there that she had more significant strikes. That being said, in actually watching the fight, I mean, it seemed pretty clear to me that Rose won the fight, at least from my outside, uh, you know, looking in. And what I do when I watch the fights and I'm kind of trying to get a feel for how the fight's going to be judged, what I basically do is at every minute of every round, I kind of give a telemark mark one way or the other to who I thought won that minute of the round. So let's just say round one. Um, I look at it and I, it's minute one. I'll hash mark it and say, well, I'm going to give it to this person or that person. Right. So um, that's kind of how I go through and I kind of decide who's won which uh, which round so as we as we go through and we watch this fight if you do it that way i think it becomes very very evident that rose um won the fight um even in the rounds where you could argue um, or that most people are arguing uh you want to won the fight which was the third and fourth i really feel that other than the leg kicks there really wasn't a lot more that she did. She didn't do a whole lot of damage to Rose beyond that. Um, and so I don't know if they're counting those as significant strikes. Because they were solid, they were hard. I don't know exactly how they they tally all those up. Um, but those strikes were, while they were significant, they didn't do the same amount of damage, right? And this goes back to an issue that the UFC has had when it comes to to fight uh, scoring and judging. And that's the whole idea that, you know, um, somehow, uh, you know, they've had this issue. Uh, I think the biggest one was probably when Johnny Hendricks fought GSP and he had done significant damage to GSP but GSP had won more rounds and ended up winning the fight. And so, you know, this is part of how the game is played. And until we change, until, I shouldn't say we, until the UFC or the fan base demands that the scoring system somehow is changed, you know, this is what, you, what we're going to be left with as fight fans, right? Is that you know, you're going to have to look at this in, in the context of how many rounds did you win, right? Even the new uh, way that they've been taught or that they're pushing to give a little bit easier 10, 8 rounds. If that were the case, I think Rose would have even won by a bigger margin because the rounds that she won um, or that were not in my mind contestable that she won, which were the first, the second and the fifth. Right? I think it was even contestable whether or not she won uh, three and four, but that's just my opinion. That all being said, definitely the second and the fifth round, I think you could have given her 10-8 rounds if you were going to be very liberal with giving out a 10-8 round. Where I don't feel like if you gave Ioana three and four... I don't think even being liberal you could have given her a 10 8 round there. They would it would have still been 10 9 rounds there. That's how close those rounds were. The rounds that she won were so super close when you're watching the fight and really thinking about who won the fight, right? Lastly, what I didn't like about Iwana and what I did like about the judge's decision is that in the fifth, going into the fifth round, knowing that it's a close fight, I mean, the fighters had to know it was a close fight, right? I mean, it's it was pretty back and forth. Uh, as far as momentum shifts. So momentum, Rose would gain a lot of momentum. And then, you know, Joanna uh, would come back and and stifle that momentum, maybe start to gain a little bit of momentum. And then Rose would do something and regain the momentum. And so in that sense, it was a back and forth type of fight. So they had to have in their mind that this was a close fight. What I didn't like out of Joanna, and the reason, and what I did like out of Rose, and why I'm happy with the way the judges scored that round or scored the fight, is that Joanna didn't leave it all out there. She still fought with pitter patter punches. She didn't try to overextend. She didn't try to finish Rose. She, and she is the challenger, right? and the champ was actually the one that took it up a notch started throwing with pretty much everything she had was trying to end the fight was trying to finish the fight was landing okay and really when she got into the pocket into the striking the the boxing distance right not the kickboxing distance where Joanna could use her kicks really effectively But in that closer range, she was dominating, right? She was really doing a better job defensively. And that was leading to her offense. She was able to close that distance, not get hit, then slip and move inside of the pocket, roll and counter off of those defensive movements, right? And that, in my opinion, is why the judges got it right. Because Rose went out there and she put an exclamation point on that fifth round. Now, people can go back and forth, whatever. And like I said, this all goes back to how the scoring is set up. In my personal opinion, I feel that uh, MMA has um, two follow. Too closely followed the structure of boxing scoring. Um, I really feel that they could have come up with a whole new, brand new way to score um, that that had been in, that would be innovative, right and new. Um, it's almost like they're trying. You know, it's like trying to score football with a baseball scoring system. You know what I mean? That that's what I how I see it, right? Or even better yet, let's say. Um, it's like trying to score, uh, 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 arena football, right. With typical, um, NFL scoring, right. While they're super closely related, right. There's you, because of so many differences in the way that you can score and the quickness of the scoring, you really have to like, think about, well, what else can we do to add in here? Right. Right. And so Arena Football, if you don't know, has, you know, uh, a little bit of tweaks on the scoring system. Um, So that's just my take on it. I thought it was a great fight. The card was pretty good. I don't know that it was um, pay-per-view worthy other than the Rose uh, title defense. Um, I really felt that the uh, Khabib fight was lackluster. Um, It just was... Uh, I, I don't even know how to put it other than just disappointing. It was just a disappointing fight. Um, I mean, I guess it, it's great that Khabib won. Uh, I guess I'm just more perturbed that it seemed like uh, the UFC and Dana White went out of their way to make sure that Khabib was going to put that belt around his waist. And, you know, and that is what it is. So so we're going to talk about Conor and the UFC and everything that's surrounding Connor right now. But before we get to that, we're going to talk a little bit about self-defense and grappling and my take on um, this whole idea of self-defense jiu-jitsu versus Brazilian jiu-jitsu or how they put it sometimes is gracious jiu-jitsu versus Brazilian jiu-jitsu. We're going to talk a little bit about that when we come back. So stay with us, guys. Hey, everybody. So, welcome back. So, um, being that, uh, our entire show is supposed to be around, um, uh, martial arts and self-defense and, um, those type of subjects, I thought it would be, um, a good time to address, uh, you know, the big debate. It seems to be getting more and more traction as of late. And that's the back and forth of, you know, sport jujitsu versus self defense jujitsu. Now, I think that I can sum up uh, a little bit about, uh, I don't know, maybe not sum up, but give you my take. Okay. So here it is I feel that the differences or um, the importance of the differences between self-defense jiu-jitsu and Brazilian jiu-jitsu are being downplayed to a great degree by those who have a vested interest in the sport jiu-jitsu community and business model. Now i know that sounds inflammatory so give me some time to please explain so first and foremost sport jiu-jitsu and doing sport jiu-jitsu versus self-defense jiu-jitsu is in my opinion uh, better than not doing anything at all however it's more than feel good as i put it uh training right it's a lot like boxing i really feel that you know um boxing brazilian jiu-jitsu uh let's see what else would probably be up in there um sport judo competition training right um sport competition training for uh freestyle wrestling or folk style wrestling right Um, combat uh, Sambo or even regular Sambo. I think these are probably the best um, combat sports training that you can do that'll translate into self-defense training, right? And the reason why is because you're training against live resistance, against live opponents at a very close to near, uh, 100% effort, 100% speed, right? When you're training them, when you're sparring, you're, you're really trying to knock out the other guy in boxing or you're really trying to submit or choke the guy or you're really trying to throw the guy or you're really trying to control the guy, right? Depending on the sport um, that we're talking about. That being said, okay, all that being said, I feel like the self-defense equivalent of all of those particular styles is extremely downplayed, okay? For instance, in boxing, I really feel that when you look at the roots of boxing and you go all the way back, and especially if you run into a really good old school coach, right, that teaches... The significance of the elbows, right, not just for blocking, but even for kind of following through and maybe getting in a strike here and there, um, the significance of staying in front of your opponent, not allowing them to get to your back, uh the significance of you know the footwork, not just moving off of angles but messing up your your opponent's footwork, maybe stepping on their feet, entangling their feet, looking to trip, things of that nature, I think that that is much more applicable to self-defense than the pretty style of boxing, which, for instance, we see out of Floyd Mayweather in most of his fights, right? And the reason why is because it, the reality is, is if somebody leans back and, and does a Philly shell on you on the street and you're a smaller guy defending yourself, okay, I, and I'm speaking from experience having usually been a smaller person, The bigger guy isn't going to, he doesn't have boxing gloves on. He's not going to be frustrated because he didn't hit you. What's going to happen is he's going to wrap you up and try and slam you to the ground because you now you're making him look silly and you're just making him more mad, right? You're just pissing him off. So it's important to understand, you know, how to create that distance, how to trip people up, how to stay onto your feet, how maybe to use your elbows to frame away, right? Similarly, you know, um, in jujitsu, you have the same thing, right? So there, you know, while sport jujitsu translates very well, a lot of the techniques will translate very well into um, self-defense and it's better to know something than to know nothing, right? Right. Maybe versus somebody that's of your similar size um, you don't have the worry right uh that maybe a smaller person does but when it comes to a smaller person versus a larger person okay there's a lot of things to worry about okay there's I see a lot of sport guys will play for instance, like you know the reverse Hiva. Or they'll play the, uh, some of them, some of the older guys will play half guard, right? Well, there's no better place for the opponent for you to put your head when it comes to, you know, self-defense situation. You're putting your head in a position where you're giving them all the leverage to come down and smash your face, okay? Now, spider guard, for instance, I could see a very applicable real world self-defense scenario where spider guard would be very useful however that being said that's under certain conditions that's you know for myself i live in mesa arizona that's uh near you know basically a suburb of phoenix and i'm sorry but the concept that i would ever be able to use spider guard other than maybe for Three weeks out of the year is just not realistic, right? Um, Nobody wears a jacket, (laughs) you know, nobody wears hoodies, right? Very rarely for a very small fraction of the time do people wear that type of clothing that spider guard would be uh, an applicable street self-defense system, uh, guard system, right? It just wouldn't. Um, And You know, then when you add in things like people being able to stomp your face or put a knee in your face, be able to strike you in the face, it's much, much different, right? And so I really feel that the sport world of jiu-jitsu has a vested interest in downplaying, right, the self-defense portion. And I really feel like, you know, it's a sad state of affairs when that's the case. I really feel like if, if you have sport sambo, and you have combat sambo and these two things can, can coexist and they feed one to the other, right? I don't understand why there seems to be such a need for both the self-defense side and the sports side of jujitsu to be pushing against each other, right? Almost fighting against each other. Now, yes, jujitsu is jujitsu. However, we do really have to, uh, really understand that things that you do in a sport competition, you know, are not things that you can do in a street fight or a self defense situation. Okay. Um, one of my biggest pet peeves, for instance, with that is the no slamming rule, right? Um, well i understand it and i understand it's there for the safety of the competitors and and i'm glad it is and, and it makes things fun when you're on the mat and you're training right for sport i think it's important that we remember that that we that it be covered that that you know holding a triangle choke in such a way that somebody can basically deadlift you or clean you and then slam you down to the ground is something that we have to think about, right? It's something we have to talk about. Uh, it's super dangerous. I mean, that's why the slamming is not allowed in sport competition. In sport competition, the idea that a white belt cannot, uh, other than a straight ankle, can't, you know, go after the legs or the feet. Well, I'm sorry that, that you know, but... You know, somebody in the street, not that they're going to know how to do a technical uh, leg lock, right? But, um, you know, they're going to grab your foot and try to twist it off, you know, if if they get into that position, you know, they're going to grab your foot kind of like a steering wheel and try and, and try and twist it in a way that, you know, it was not designed to twist if that's what they have to grab a hold of to try to get away from you. And so, you know, I think it's important that, you know, we understand those things. Now, I understand all the point system of, you know, the IBJJF. I do. And I understand why it's created. And I think that it's a good thing. But let's I really feel like, you know, we have to address the idea and the concept that every point system, every time you sportify a combat style, Every time you set a set of rules to it, okay, then you're hurting its effectiveness to some degree. To some degree. I'm not saying completely. I'm not saying it's making it useless. I'm saying to some degree you're hurting its efficiency and effectiveness, okay, in the street, in a self defense situation. Now, I recently heard a YouTube video kind of saying that, you know, well, the thing is, is that All that, you know, uh, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu standing techniques, you never see either Gracie's use that in, in MMA, right? True. Absolutely true. That being said, right, that and it's very, you know, they put this out there very straightforward is that, you know, we're not worried about the trained fighter. And statistically speaking, you shouldn't be, okay? You know, um, my self-defense business, we, and our client, with our clients, we we pride ourselves on the fact that we focus on um, playing the numbers. And what the statistics say, what the numbers say is that, you know, nine times out of 10, probably even more than that, right? If, you know... 99 out of 100, right? Times that you have a street altercation, the person that you're going to be having an altercation with is not a trained fighter, not in any kind of sport combat, not in any kind of self-defense combat. Okay. And when I say trained, I mean significantly trained. I mean, trained, not, oh, they went and they watched Karate Kid and now they think they know Karate okay, I'm not talking about people who watch u f c and they mess around with their their uh buddies in their backyard, okay I'm talking about somebody who's gone to a coach, seen a coach and they've rolled or they've sparred or they've you know done whatever it is that that they do, and they've done that for you know a few years, maybe a year right or longer. The, the reality and consistently, right? The reality is that's like 1% of the population that does any kind of combat sport. So statistically speaking, you're not training for the person who is a professional fighter. Okay. And most of the time, okay. And this is where, and this is what kind of upsets me when people make comments without really listening To what the person has said, a lot of the criticisms of the Gracie Jiu Jitsu self-defense system doesn't, they don't say what the Gracie's actually say, right? Which is, they clearly acknowledge that what they're teaching you is for unskilled opponents. For instance, their combative system, while I believe it's outdated, right? I think it's outdated because of the advent of MMA. Okay. The advent of MMA and people now understanding basic positions. Okay. Of jujitsu, basic positions of fighting. Okay. Because it's been populated into the masses now. I really feel like, um, you know, the combative system is a bit outdated, right? Um, they need to, I, I really feel like they need to revamp that system. However, that being said. Within that system, as you watch that system, they refer to the on-trained, the on-skilled, what's going to happen most of the time, right? And, so, and you can watch and you can do a lot of this research on your own and, and read the books and uh, pull the studies and watch the videos and see when you see two people fighting, how it happens, how it occurs, how it builds up. And what is generally the first couple of techniques that are almost always used, right? One of the very first techniques in every street fight is the highest percentage one. It probably happens about 60 to 70% of the time is the huge looping haymaker right hand. Does anybody deny that? Next is... Uh, probably the windmill of punches into uh, some type of clinch to try and tackle you to the ground. Okay. And so now we're already probably covered about 90% of what street fights look like. Of what the most common initial attacks look like. So do you want to train for the 10% or do you want to train for the 90%? Okay? And when people in sport jiu-jitsu want to say that, you know, oh, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. It does matter. I mean, it really does matter. And and I don't think that that point has become more clear than watching some of the matches in sport jiu-jitsu that are submission only right? Not points, but submission only. And guys who were incredible at point jujitsu, right? They're butt scooting around, following a guy. They have no concept of how to take somebody to the ground, or maybe they do, but they're not very good. They're not high level at it. Okay. And so you really have to ask yourself, is that really, is that really self-defense? Is is sitting down onto your butt and scooting after somebody really self-defense savvy? Because if it's not, then we really have to start thinking about, well, what is the, the point system doing to our mindset? But like I said, every single, there's no such thing as the perfect rule set. You know, uh, I don't think Submission Only has it 100% right. Um, I don't think EBI has it 100% right. I don't think IBJJF has it 100% right. I mean, it would be great if everybody fought um, for the spirit of the rules instead of trying to take advantage of the rule set. But that's exactly what happens. And it's because we, you know, everybody wants to win. And so it happens even in MMA. You know, this is why MMA, while I believe it translates very well for self-defense, there's also some things where mm, maybe it doesn't because of the fact that, you know, the rule set dictates certain things, you know, and I think that GSP and how he got beat up by Johnny Hendricks, I think that any of us would say if that was a street fight situation, Johnny Hendricks, we, everybody would probably say Johnny Hendricks won that fight. And, you know, it would be a position that GSP wouldn't want to be in right? Um, Because he got his face smashed in for most of that fight for, you know, maybe not most of the fight, but way more significantly, right? So, you know, sometimes doing the um, pretty stuff, the stuff that just controls and wins rounds, isn't always necessarily what you want to do In a self-defense situation, no matter how well, you know, those techniques and those skills translate into self-defense, we always have to think about it in terms of, you know, and this is why our focus is survive and escape. Were you able to survive? Were you able to escape? This is why we don't like to think of, uh, we don't like our uh, self-defense mantra to be anything to do with fighting, right? Because we don't want our ego involved. We're not trying to win. We're trying to survive and escape. But anyhow, that's my take. It was uh something I needed to talk about. And um so when we come back, um we're gonna talk a little bit more about Connor McGregor and everything surrounding him and uh as it pertains to the UFC. So we'll catch you guys in a bit. Keep listening. Wild things. Welcome back, Albert Apache Podcast. So now we're going to talk about the wild thing Conor McGregor, whom I think Dana White loves, despite what you may have heard last week. Okay. So if you listen to any of the uh, other broadcasts that uh, I just recently did, you'll hear that I had a feeling and that um, I had even suggested that uh ray borg and michael kiesa not only sue conor mcgregor right which we all are pretty sure is coming but beyond that that they invest in a private investigator to um look into dana white and the ufc's uh complicity in this particular melee or whatever you want to call it this particular mess because it smelled like it looked like a um publicity stunt gone bad to me okay when you watch that video you're gonna see that you know as they come in to the structure um there's like virtually no security if you watch old videos of other buses similar it's in a it's a very similar setup, right? Um, if you watch uh, embedded videos, if you watch uh, Countdown, if you watch any other, you know, go on to YouTube and you watch some of the videos from past, uh, you know, last uh, media day, uh, you know, efforts, and you see and you watch these fighters load up onto the buses and you watch them leave, there is security in the area yet when connor um pulls his stunt there doesn't seem to be any kind of security like where is where is security right i mean this isn't out in the like the underground parking lot that you and i park in right that like oh well security can't you know uh, shut down every door You know, security isn't, you know, sitting there. And of course, these fighters are not you and I, you know, these are fighters that are worth, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in ticket sales to the UFC. So where was security and the things that Connor was throwing? Let's just be real. It's not as if they were like he was chucking baseballs, you know, like something that was is designed to be held in a single hand and thrown at high velocities and is, isn't awkward to handle. Okay. He's having to muscle, you know, really use some muscle and really pick up these awkward shaped items and throw them at the buses. Yet you're telling me I'm not asking security to get into a fight with Conor McGregor and win or any professional fighter, but you're telling me they can't, the security, if they were even there had, was completely incompetent, that they couldn't restrain him from throwing objects at the bus. And if you watch that video, it's not as if there was a barrage of things being thrown, like they walked in with the things to throw and they just started throwing them. I mean, they had to run over, they had to pick them up, they had to run towards the bus and throw them, right? So there's a lot of prep time and all that. And yet we never see the security. And where was the security tackling them? Or pepper spraying them, or tasing them, as the incident's happening, or after the incident's over, so that you know the police force could you know immediately arrest these people. Like where were they? And so it really is baffling to me. And and so I suggested that um, you know Michael Chiesa and Ray Borg actually not only sue Conor McGregor but invest into a PI to look into, um, you know, the culpability, the involvement of the UFC and Dana White. Now, some of my friends laughed at me. They really were like, no, you saw Dana. He said this is the most despicable thing. And he, uh, he's done. He's done with Connor. blah, blah, blah. And my response to that was money talks. Money talks hammy, money talks, right? And here's the thing is that Conor McGregor is a draw. Love him, hate him. It doesn't matter. I mean, in all reality, even the, and Cody Covington's finding this out, right? The more people hate you, that's okay. You want haters. You don't just want fans. You want haters too. Number one, haters give you fuel to your fire to be like, bam in your face son right but also haters are some of your biggest publicists right i mean it just is what it is um you know it it reminds me a lot of the yankees or the dallas cowboys right i mean people who hate the yankees probably talk more about the yankees than yankee fans and similar with the dallas cowboys right people who hate the Dallas Cowboys probably talk more about the Dallas Cowboys than Dallas Cowboy fans. A little bit of transparency here. I am a Dallas Cowboy fan. I am not a Yankees fan. Um, and I even see the similar thing going on in politics right now. And not to get too political, I don't want to get off the sidetrack. But I notice a lot of people who hate Donald Trump seem to just feel their Facebook and Twitter and and Instagram and you know Snapchat feeds with all this anti-Trump rhetoric and I'm just like dude like I'm not even thinking about that guy like you know I got other things to do right now I'm not a huge fan of Como or Don but it's getting a little like worrisome that you seem so like I don't know obsessed with this guy and so anyhow um, that being said uh, you know, Conor McGregor is a draw and, you know, he brings in money. And so I really feel Dana White loves this wild thing that is Conor McGregor. Um, I really feel that, you know, everything that we saw last week was contrived. It was designed. I think some things went wrong. I don't think, uh, anybody meant for, uh, fighters to get injured, but, I think the idea of Conor being there and raising hell was pretty much part of the publicity stunt that uh, that helps drive the UFC. You know, um, ever since, you know, it was bought out, it's become more and more uh, WWE and less and less uh, old style UFC. I mean, if we're going to be honest about it. And so, um, you know, now the word is, is that, you know, Dana loves Connor again and, you know, Connor is probably going to be fighting soon. And, and on the heels of that, uh, slow and behold are now the rumors of Floyd Mayweather making a MMA debut and fighting Conor McGregor with of course, a modified rule set. Now to me, this is ridiculous. Nobody, I, I don't know who's going to pay for it. I mean, people talked about why would you ever pay for the Connor Floyd Mayweather fight? It's a joke. It's this, it's that. How much more of a joke is it that Floyd Mayweather is going to fight an MMA fight, but he can't even fight a real MMA fight. They have to do it with quote modified rules. And exactly how are they going to modify these rules? this is my question. Like, are they basically going to say, oh, it's going to be a boxing match? Because if that's the case, then why even do it? Right? Why even do it? If all they're going to do is reduce the size of the gloves, then why do it? If Connor can't kick, if Connor can't kick to the leg, if Connor can't kick to the head, if Connor can't kick, period, doesn't matter. If he can't do takedowns, okay, well, doesn't matter. If he can't do submission holds, arm bars, shoulder locks, can't do leg locks can't i mean then what is the point what is the point to basically show that if you give floyd mayweather every advantage he's gonna win because he's a superior boxer um well he should that's been his sole you know uh discipline for years and years now here's my thing I don't care how much supposedly Floyd's been training in in private for three years. I really feel even in a straight grappling match, and let's not even say MMA match. I don't care how much he's he's been, quote, secretly training or privately training. I'm pretty sure that I could probably find a semi-serious, you know, purple belt who's been training four to five years that would smash him absolutely smash him in his weight class okay similarly i could probably find a ncaa wrestler that could smash him and just control him you know on the mat um judo guy just throw him around ragdoll him okay but, and that's not a disrespect to Floyd, okay? I don't understand why when you point out the obvious truth, it's a disrespect to Floyd, okay? This is not, you know, a lot of people said when Connor went over to boxing that this is, oh, this is like um, somebody who's a race car driver thinking that they could, um, you know, uh, 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 be an NBA basketball player. No, it's not. That's the stupidest analogy I've ever heard. Okay. What it was more like was like Warren Moon leaving college football, going to Canadian Football League, and then coming back to the NFL and thinking he could play. It was like Kurt Warner playing arena football and then coming into the NFL. Okay. The level of course changes, right? It's a much higher level. Okay. But the difference between MMA and boxing. Okay. Is focus. It's not necessarily athleticism or skill set. Okay. It's focus. Okay. So in boxing, your focused is much, much, much more narrow than in MMA. It has to be broader. Okay. It's almost like saying this a decathlete, okay, a decathlete, not of today, but let's say 10 years from now, wanting to sprint against Usain Bolt in 10 years. So let's say the best decathlete 10 years from now, who's also a sprinter. Remember, decathletes, they run, you know, uh, a sprint as well and saying, hey, I want to race Usain Bolt 10 years from now. And then saying, well, that's ridiculous. You're a decathlete. You're not a hundred meter sprinter. Well, kind of, you know, he still focuses on running. He still focuses on sprinting. He just doesn't focus as narrowly on sprinting, right? So now it's vice versa. Okay. And, And Usain Bolt would be older by then, right? So it's a younger decathlete guy. Does he have a chance? Yeah, he has a chance. Is it a big chance? Is it an overwhelming chance? No, but there's a chance, okay? Because it's similar enough, okay? Now, this is like Usain Bolt. This is like Usain Bolt in 10 years going, Hmm, I think I want to try and compete as a decathlete at the highest level, but I can't really do it. So instead of being a decathlete, we'll be a biathlete but I want you to count it as me being a decathlete, right? So I'm only going to do two events, but I want you to count it as if I did all 10 events. So I really don't know why people would pay for this fight other than because they really want to get see Floyd Mayweather get smashed, right? But the way that the rules are going to be set up, I'm pretty sure that's not going to happen. I'm pretty sure they're going to probably take away leg kicks. They're probably going to take away head kicks. So the only place that Conor can kick him is probably in the belly, right? Which don't get me wrong. It still freaking hurts, still takes the wind out of you. But you're not going to see the beating, right? That that people think that they want to see. Um, You know, there's probably going to be some type of rule about the takedowns. He can maybe only have one takedown per round or three takedowns per round or some ridiculousness like that. Um, They're probably going to protect his legs and his arms that he can't have, you know, because of his inexperience. They don't want, you know, his shoulders to 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 get hurt, his elbows to get hurt, his knees to be hurt. So pretty much the only, uh, submissions that'll be available to Conor would be chokes, you know, if they did it. And I think that's basically how, but what they're going to set up. Um, and I think it'll be done, uh, outside of the UFC. I don't, I think that the whole long game, um, the whole reason why, uh, Conor McGregor entertainment, I believe that's the name of his, um, his brand, um, his promotion um I McGregor Entertainment I think but uh, I think the whole long game of why that was even developed was so that this fight could be introduced at some point and I think that this will be the launching pad because you know Floyd has made mention that he would like to get into MMA okay so this partnership of the money team and McGregor Entertainment Outside of the UFC, uh, maybe within association or some kind of ridiculousness with the UFC, because they have the the media marketing machine, right? That is going to be where this fight takes place, and it'll be the introduction. We might see some other hybrid fights uh, happen there. Um, and, and possibly that's what we've been seeing with all this talk of other MMA fighters talking about fighting boxers and boxers saying they want to come to MMA and you're going to see, you know, probably a pretty fun card, I think, but it'll probably be a whole slew of hybrid fights, right? Of some kind of hybrid rule set and we'll get to watch that. And of course it's going to be set up in such a way that boxing doesn't get completely embarrassed. Okay. But the reality is, is that boxing would get completely embarrassed, um, you know, or to a higher degree. I should say that. It's not that a boxer wouldn't have a chance. They have a chance. Of course, anything can happen in a fight. But the reality is, is that, if you know how to grapple, if you know how to strike, if you know how to kick, if you know how to do all these things, and you have all of that available to you, and this other guy can only throw punches—that's all he knows how to do—you you have a significant advantage in in that type of sport, right? You just do, and I mean, we don't—it it doesn't make it better, or doesn't make it worse, or more entertaining or less entertaining. It's just the truth. It's just the facts, right? Nine times out of ten, you know. The MMA guy is going to win just like, you know, yeah, I'm sure some Kung Fu stylist will beat up a low level MMA guy or might get lucky even against a high level MMA guy once every 10 fights. Right. But over the long haul, over numerous fights, the MMA fighter is going to win. Right. And as long as the rule set is his rule set, you know what I mean? I mean, it's just the advantage. Right. Just like we know that 9 out of 10 times if you take a man and a woman randomly off the street and you say, hey, who can lift the most amount of weight? Who can deadlift the most amount of weight? 9 times out of 10, the man's going to deadlift more weight, right? Just it is what it is. So, um, you know, this is just one of those things. Um, But that's probably what's going on. That's what I see happening. And, uh, you know, Maybe it's fun. Maybe it's not. All I can say is, I really think that Bellator needs to step it up. Um, this was their window. If they're smart, this 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 whole circus that has surrounded Conor McGregor and the UFC for the past two years, this has been their window, okay, to really sneak in and start making a dent into the UFC. Um, They really, really could do it. All right. Um, And it's just about their meat, how they market, how they go forward marketing. Um, They probably need to step away a little bit from uh, uh, doing so much with, with cable and pay-per-view. They probably don't, don't even want to mess with pay-per-view for a while until they can offer something that everybody wants to see. And, um, they really probably need to look into start giving some of these fights away for free and trying to get onto network or via YouTube, right? Maybe YouTube Red, and, uh, just saying, Hey, look, man, like this is part of our package is, you, you know, you get 99% of the fights, maybe do one pay-per-view a year for probably the next three to eight years and really start building. Cause right now people want to see real fights, Right. This whole malarkey that just happened with Connor and and Tony getting hurt and and they couldn't find a a legitimate replacement and this and that and the other. Bellator's structure, the way that they structure their championships, the way that they say, okay, we're going to have a tournament to determine who is our champ going forward, that structure right, is so made for that kind of situation. to to overcome that situation because it would have just been very easily. You already know, well, if this guy, you know, fights this guy, then they, whoever wins goes on to the fight. This guy, they already have fighters in the pipeline ready for that. So um, I think it would have completely like, you know, oh, so we, we nix one fight off of the card. Okay. Somebody has a buy. Oh, Hey, it is what it is. Right. Um, it, It feeds in perfectly to that. Right. But anyhow, that's my take. Um, we'll catch you guys actually tomorrow. Since we were supposed to do the show yesterday, we try to go Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So since we missed Monday, this is Tuesday. We will see you tomorrow. Excuse me, not see you. You will hear from me tomorrow. That's what I should say. All right, guys. Thanks a lot for listening. Um, I appreciate you guys being here. Hope this is entertaining, of value to you. Please comment, send me feedback. If it's not, if you're like, oh, this guy is crazy, whatever the case may be, it doesn't matter. Send me some feedback so that I can make a better product for you guys. All right, thanks a lot. Have a great day. Be purposeful, be practical, get fit with a purpose, guys.